We're going to look at Second uh, Peter chapter 2, uh, first three verses, and really we're probably not going to get any further than verse 1, and uh, so this is going to be a two-parter uh, series, and uh, luckily I recognize that sooner rather than later. Uh, would you stand in honor of God's word as we just read uh, this first passage? I'm going to read it first in the King James, then I'll read it in the Lexham English Bible because little nuances that might, you might enjoy. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness they shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Let's read it again from the Lexham English Bible. But there were also false prophets among the people, as there will be false teachers among you also, who will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, thus bringing in on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their licentious ways, because of whom the way of truth will be reviled. And in greediness they will exploit you with false words, whose condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Thank you. You may be seated. So it should be pointed out, false prophets are not a new thing, and they're not a new thing even in Peter's day. They have always been a, a problem throughout uh, Old Testament history and New Testament history. Jeremiah 5.31 says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so, and what will you do in the end thereof? So Jeremiah had lots of pro problems with false prophets. Chapter 23, he said, Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken in my midst. All my bones tremble. I have become like a drunken man, even a man over whom wine is passed because of Yahweh and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers, for the land mourns because of a curse. Now, when he says, I become like a drunken man, what he's essentially saying is, I, 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 this problem of false prophets bothered Jeremiah so bad that it was hard for him to focus on anything else, hard for him to be effective in anything else because it bothered him so deeply. The pastures of the desert are dry and their evil has been their way of running and their power is not right. For both prophet as well as priest are godless. Even in my temple, I have found their wickedness, declares the Lord. So he says, therefore, their way will be like them, the slippery places. They'll be pushed in the darkness. They'll fall into it. For I will bring disaster on them in the year of their punishment, declares Yahweh. Now in the prophets of Samaria, I saw a disgusting thing. They prophesied Babel, and they caused my people Israel to err. And in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery, and they walk in lies, and they make strong the hands of evildoers, so that they have not turned back each from his wickedness. All of them have become to me like Sodom and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. So those are strong words. It goes on, Therefore thus says Yahweh of hosts concerning the prophets, Look, I'm going to let them eat wormwood. Wormwood is a very bitter thing. And I'll give them water of poison to drink from for from the prophets of Jerusalem went out ungodliness to all the land. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, You must not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. 
They're deluding you with visions of their mind. They do not speak from the mouth of Yahweh. They are continually saying to those who disregard the word of Yahweh, Peace, it will be to you. And to each one who walks in the stubbornness of the heart, they say, Calamity will not come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of Yahweh that he has seen and heard his word? Who has listened attentively to his word and heard it? And by the way, you'll notice there's a theme that will come up in a lot of these verses that one of the things false prophets do is tell you everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to calm down. There's going to be peace when in reality God's judgment is on the way. Galatians 5.20, New Testament. Paul was talking about what was happening in his time. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. And a heresy is a falsehood. It's a truth that's been taken out of balance and blown up so that it's not a biblical viewpoint. In Acts 13.6, we read about uh, a false prophet that had two names. I called him Bar-Jesus, uh, but uh, they also refers to him as Elymas. It says, when they crossed over the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a certain man, a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barabbas, Barnabas and Saul and wished to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for his name is translated in this way, opposed them, attempting to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And that's one of the things false prophets do, is they try to turn people away from the true faith. So what are the fruits of false prophets? If we're going to know them by their fruit, what are they? Now you'll notice in verse 1 in 2 Peter 2, Peter begins by talking about the fact there were false prophets in the past, and now there are and are going to be false teachers. We kind of changed the name a little bit from false prophets to false teachers because we really don't live in an age where there are prophets, but we do live in an age where there are teachers. And, and so there's going to be false teachers in the present, and both are guilty of heresy. And he says what they do is they secretly introduce their false teachings, which are destructive heresies. And so secretly introduce is part of a Greek word that means to bring in alongside. In other words, they don't come into a church and start saying, hey, you know what, we're going to forget the Bible. I got this new book and we're going to start studying it. No, they start bringing in the Bible, but then they, they bring in these truths that, of, of their teaching that are not really truths. They bring in falsehoods. They, they, uh, they take scriptures out of context and they say, well, look, this scripture says this, and they never go to the verse before it and the verse after it to put the verse in context or read the whole chapter to put that passage in context. They, they twist the scriptures, uh, the Bible says in other places, to their own destruction. Okay, so the secretly induced, they come in and, and they look like one of us. And then they bring in alongside these errors. Heresies, this Greek word means it's a, a, a sects or uh, schools of philosophies or religious parties. Uh, so in other words, it's not just a, a just one wrong truth. It becomes a whole new way of thought, a whole new way of teaching. It leads to a whole different goal. It's to build up an organization around themselves, usually the false prophet, rather than to just introduce a little bit of error. And, and uh, the New Testament writers use these words to describe things like the Sadducees and the Pharisees whenever they got uh, a wrong doctrine. Such heresies are destructive because they lead people away from Christ and into spiritual ruin. And the Greek word there, apoleus, means basically uh, a destruction. 
So they bring doctrines and teachings that don't benefit others. This is another thing, one of their fruits. Look at the end of Jeremiah 2.8. The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and look at this, and walked after things that do not profit. Now, he's not saying, by the way, that the false prophets didn't profit from it. They, a lot of false prophets did things for pay. Uh, they did it to attract money. What they're saying is the things that they taught didn't lead to life and joy and godliness and happy families and success in, in business and success in living a life for God. Those things it didn't do. They walked after things that did not profit. And Isaiah says, And these also stagger because of wine and stagger because of strong drink. Priest and prophet stagger because of strong drink. They're confused because of wine. They stagger because of strong drink. Don't you, do you ever notice when the Bible repeats something, maybe they're trying to get our attention? Strong drink doesn't make you walk a straight line very well. Uh, they err in vision. They stagger in the rendering of a decision for all the tables are full of disgusting vomit with no place left. Boy, I tell you what, sometimes the Old Testament's just colorful. Uh, what, so what are, the, what are the fruits of the false prophets we see here? Well, they gratify the flesh. They live to do what feels good to them. They err in their vision. They have a wrong idea of what's supposed to be accomplished in life, and they lead people to follow wrong goals. And then they render poor counsel. They don't give good counsel because their counsel's not based on the Word of God. I tell you what, anytime you ask someone for their counsel or ask advice, and let me tell you a little trick, okay? Uh, I, I was a, a chaplain in a hospital for several years, and when I was training to be a chaplain in the hospital, one of the things they told us as part of the training, and I didn't, don't know that I necessarily agreed it with the time, but I'm beginning to see the wisdom of this, is don't give people advice unless they ask for it. And, and I hope I followed that with you. Uh, you know, I will preach the word of God to you, and I'll preach the whole counsel of the word of God. I'm not going to compromise on, on what I believe the word of God says. Uh, even if you might believe differently, I'm going to hold to that. But I, I, I'm probably not going to come up to you and say, let me give you some advice, okay? Because I want to know that you've asked for that. I may ask you sometime, could, would it be okay if I shared with you a blind spot? Or would it be okay if I shared with you an observation from my own life that might be helpful to you. But I usually don't give counsel when it's not asked for simply for the reason that people really don't want to hear counsel you didn't ask for. Though what they want is encouragement. They want to know that you feel their pain, but they don't want to know necessarily their advice. But when you do ask for advice, you want to listen to what is told you and say, does this conform to the word of God? Okay? So whether the advice is offered freely or without permission or it's given to you with permission, you still got to do the same thing. Take every counsel that you hear and check it. Is this biblical? Is it right? Is this with the understanding of God's word here? And this is what we, what we need to do. So uh, the false prophets, what did they do? They rendered poor counsel because their counsel was not based on the word of God. Another place in Jeremiah chapter 14 he says, then I said, ah, Lord Yahweh, look, the prophets are saying to them, you will not see the sword and famine will not be yours, but reliable peace I will give to you in this place. That's the false prophets. Once again, they're saying everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about the Lord's judgment. And Yahweh said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them. I have not commanded them. I have not spoken to them. They're prophesying to you a lying vision and a divination worthless in the deceitfulness of their minds. And he goes on 
and says, well, the false prophets are saying sword and famine will not be in this land. And then God says, by the sword and by the famine, those prophets will perish. They're going to perish by the very things that say aren't coming. So, again, what are the fruits of the false prophets? They lie, they operate in deceit, and they bring God's judgment upon themselves while still promising peace to everyone else. Micah, chapter 3. I'm going to skip a lot of verses here, but in, in verse 5, thus says Yahweh concerning the prophets who are leading my people who astray, who are biting with their teeth, in other words, their, their tents, uh, their, um, they're doing damage to others, just like if you bit someone and you leave a, a, you know, your tooth marks on them, you injure them in some way, that's what they're doing with the words. But they said they're biting with their teeth and they proclaim, peace. But whoever puts nothing in their mouths, they declare war against. It's kind of like these false prophets would, would say, peace be unto you. Everything's peaceful. But if you didn't put money in their pocket, you didn't put food in their mouths, then you wouldn't be blessed with that peace. You, you, would, you would hear that you were getting the judgment of God. And even today, there are modern TV preachers. It's kind of like, well, if you want, my, if you want a blessing from God, send a donation to this ministry. I heard Kenneth Copeland do this the other day, and I'm... I'm don't care that I'm pointing out a specific name, but I heard him uh, telling people that they need to send a donation to his ministry and then basically saying, if you didn't, you wouldn't be blessed. Well, that's not the way God operates, okay? Um, and, and that, but that's what they would do. And then it says, its rulers judge for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money, but they lean on Yahweh and saying, is not Yahweh in our midst? Disaster will not come upon us. So not only do they offer these false promises of peace, but they, they say, hey, the Lord is on our side. And there's a lot of preaching, especially on a lot of TV preaching, where people go all the time saying, the Lord's on our side. And, and they tell you that, hey, if you'll just do these certain things and you listen to this stuff and you'll be a part of this church, hey, God is going to bless you with economic prosperity. Your business is going to go well. You're going to get a thousand-fold back return on every bit of money that you invest in the ministry. And it's, everything's going to be great. I don't know about you, but I call that false advertising. Uh, because even for devoted, dedicated Christians, there's times when life is just rotten. There's times when life slaps us in the face. And we get to demonstrate our devotion and loyalty to the Lord by how we respond to those difficulties. And that's what's important. So they, they proclaim that they're on the Lord's side, but they themselves are not on the Lord's side. In other words, they said, God's on my side, when really they should be focused on how to get on his side. Acts 13.8, again, that's that verse about Elemis, and they turn people away from the truth of God's word. So, what are the tests for a false prophet? How do you know when someone's a false prophet, and why do you need to know? Why is it so difficult to begin with? Well, there is some difficulty knowing especially before we had the printed word of God. Now, I've got a pretty easy way. I just go check. Okay, but let me explain why. First of all, in, uh, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 18.22, which I'll read to you in a moment, a prophet's words had to always come true. And if they didn't come true, you knew it was a false prophet. The problem with that as a test is that his prophecy might be about something even beyond his lifetime. We might not know, for example, if what Isaiah prophesied about the birth of our Savior would come true until about 500 years later. Okay, so that's a big deal. So we have to understand that, first of all. Uh, and, and then, uh, we really have to know after the fact, and that doesn't help us before the disaster strikes. So if someone's prophesying a judgment of the Lord, uh, 
Is it really true or not? Well, we, we, we don't know. We don't see into the future. So that, we can test prophecies over a long period of time, but sometimes it doesn't help us in the immediate moment. False prophets were condemned for dreams. And so several times in one of the passages I read to you a moment ago from Jeremiah, it talks about they have lying visions and they have false dreams. And so people say, well, I've had a dream about so-and-so. Uh, and yet uh, in Scripture, in Genesis 28, we have an illustration of Abraham having a dream, okay? And other people in the Old Testament had dreams and they were valid revelations from God. Now, I don't believe we have these since the canon of Scripture is closed. We don't need that kind of gift anymore. But uh, this is another reason why it's difficult. When do you know if someone says they have a dream is right and when do you know if someone says they have a dream is, is wrong? False prophets engaged in ecstatic activity. So you may remember in 1 Kings 18, that's the story of uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal did all kinds of things. They, by the way, did occasionally, just as the Egyptian sorcerers did, they did occasionally work some signs and wonders. But you remember back in, in Moses' day when the Egyptian sorcerers came up with snakes, the snake that Moses came up with ate their snakes. Okay, So that was a, a far bigger miracle, by the way. Well, the, the, the prophets of Baal would sometimes get out there and they'd have these dance routines and this chanting and they would go around. And, and by the way, I think 1 Kings 18 is one of those, you don't see this often in Scripture, but I think it's one of the few times that God reveals his sense of humor. Because they're dancing around, chanting to Baal, they're beating their backs with knives, they're getting blood to come out of their backs. By the way, uh, uh, the... There are false prophets of religions in Taiwan that still do this. On the, a, the birthday of a god, the Chinese will go down the street and there'll be a guy kind of on a, uh, a stretcher carried by other people and he's standing there with an icon of his god and he'll beat his back sometimes with knives and he'll bleed from his back because he's been possessed by the spirit of the god. Uh, substitute the word demon there. Uh, and and they're, they're damaging themselves while they're going down the street supposedly filled by the spirit of their god. So there's a lot of that kind of thing going on. Well, in, in 1 Kings 18, uh, basically uh, Elijah taunts these people as they're dancing around and they're shouting and they're beating themselves, trying to impress Baal to get him to come down and, and show his power. And Elijah's like, hey, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's watching as the stomach churns on the cosmic TV. Maybe he's you know, doing something else. Uh, maybe you need to yell louder. And I imagine they did. They probably yelled louder. Jewish tradition, by the way, not in the Bible, but Jewish tradition says that there was a, a one of the prophets of Baal was underneath the altar trying to set it on fire from underneath. Now, I, they didn't get that idea from Scripture. I have no idea that's true, but I can almost imagine that prophet of Baal down there trying to flick his bick to get the fire started because uh, Baal wasn't going to do it. They'd already hollered long enough. But we also have instances of, of other people giving ecstatic utterances. So I was just listening to this one uh, in my Bible reading this last week. Saul. Saul had already disappointed the Lord. David had already been anointed the king. Saul is on his way. He thinks to, to do some damage to David. And along the way, the Spirit of God comes upon Saul and he lays down in the ground before the school of the prophets and uh, he lays down... I'm trying to say this delicately. Um, let's just say in a rather immodest fashion. And he prophesies from the Spirit of the Lord. 
So he was the ultimate humiliation for a king to be seen on the ground in that condition, and yet he's prophesying for the Lord. It was an ecstatic experience. So you think, well, wait a minute, do we believe what Saul said versus these other things? False prophets also claim to have the Spirit of the Lord. They say, well, I've got the Spirit of the Lord, but the... But True prophets have the spirit of the Lord for real. So that there were some things that kind of make it difficult. And so we need to figure out what are some deciding factors. What are some ways to know false prophets from true ones? Well, one is, Jeremiah 23, 18 says, False prophets don't attend to the counsel of the Lord. It says, For who has stood in the counsel of Yahweh that he has seen and heard his word? Who has listened attentively to his word and heard it? Um, I, am, I find it remarkable that a lot of Christians today even will claim to have a vision or claim to have a word from the Lord, but the word that they give you from the Lord is just coming from their own experience, their own impressions, their own, uh, their own words, their own uh, thoughts, as it were. And this is what Jeremiah is saying. He says, where is the people that have actually listened to the word and heard it In other words, if somebody just tells me that they have a word from the Lord, and I've had people do this, I've had people come into that office right back there and tell Judy and I that they had a word from the Lord for us, and we knew when we heard this, quote, word from the Lord, that it was wrong. God had already shown us that that was not the the path that he wanted us on, and so we knew to ignore that counsel. But the point is, I'm much more impressed when somebody comes to me and they have chapter and verse. And they said, I was studying this passage this week. Here's what I think it means. Do you think this might apply to you? Then I can go home and I can go look at that same chapter and verse and I can look at the context of it. I can see the before. I can see the after. And I can see, hey, does that apply to me in any way? And by the way, that's what all of you are supposed to do, really, every time you hear a sermon. You know, hopefully all of you will go home this week and spend a little time in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 and then use a concordance or use a Nave's topical study Bible or some tool like that and look up references to false prophets and, and ask yourself the question, is what Brother Robert told us true? I'm not offended if you do that. The fact is, I want you to do that. And if I'm not being true, then come share with me from Scripture where I'm wrong. Okay? I want your argument whenever you hear, if you don't like something I say, I want your argument to be with the Bible, which is why I put lots of Bible verses in my slides so you can see the verses from which I get these things. I don't want to be what's called dogmatic. That is me making an assertion without giving you proof for it. So look what the false prophets did. He says, you know, they didn't attend the council of the Lord. Also in verse 21, he says, they were not sent by God. He says, I've not sent the prophets, yet they ran. I've not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. There are some people that put themselves into the ministry without really having that call given to them or having that office given to them. Now let me, let me help you, and this is thought that probably will blow some of your minds. First of all, I think there is a distinction, and I think it's in Scripture, between teaching and preaching. Sometimes preaching is teaching. And I think there's a lot of very qualified teachers. And I'm, I'm grateful for those people, but they have the skills to explain the Word of God to us and give us the Word of God and teach it to us, and then we can examine it and we study with them. We can be fellow students with them. And the best teachers are the ones who are themselves students of God's Word. But there are some people that God puts his hand on and gives a call for preaching. And 
this they may sound like teachers, and I may sound like a teacher when I preach, but there is a difference. <laughs> and the difference for me is that I didn't want to do this with my life. God called me to do it. I resisted him for three years, not proud of that. I finally answered his call to preach. And now, when I don't preach, I feel like Jeremiah did in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9 when he tried to quit teaching the word of God and he says that while he was doing it, it was like a fire that burned in his bones. See, a preacher has a hard time quitting preaching. Why? Because God has said this is the main reason you're on the planet. It's the main reason you're alive. You're, you know, other than being husband and father, this is the main thing you do. God has called you to preach the word. And, and, and they were sent by God. Now notice what he says about these prophets. These prophets appointed themselves. When I went to my pastor when I was going to Texas A&M University, and told him that for three years I'd been struggling with this thing that I felt like God wanted me to preach and I didn't really want to, but I was ready to surrender to his will. My, my pastor told me, he says, now you need to be certain of something. He says, there's a lot of kinds of preachers, but he says, mainly there's two kinds of preachers in the ministry today. He said, there are those who are preaching because they can't do anything else and make a decent living, and there are those that God has genuinely called. Now, first of all, I think about it a little bit about decent living is almost laughable because most pastors are woefully underpaid. Uh, but I have met preachers like he was talking about that I went to a seminary with some of them and I saw some of them go out and pastor churches and watching the fruit of their lives that they didn't, they didn't have a good relationship with their wife, they didn't have a good relationship with their children, uh, they, didn't have, uh, they weren't people that had a shepherd's heart that was wanting to be there for his people. They didn't have the ability to care. They didn't have the ability to counsel. And, and some of them could only preach one sermon. I followed, I, I went to one church that I pastored, and the previous pastor had been there for 15 years, and he only ever preached one sermon over and over again, which was how to be saved. Well, he was a simple man. I met him. I liked the guy. Uh, but you don't come to church to get saved. You come to church because you're saved. You need to grow as a Christian. So yes, I try to include the plan of salvation in every message. I think it's important. But we also come here to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And you need more than that. And these people were, went, were starving spiritually, and they had gone out and started listening to a lot of false teachers. And there were a lot of people that had false ideas in that church. I pastored. It was, it was really kind of a little bit of a struggle. So there are people, and, and actually I was, in intensive, I was in the intensive care waiting room at a hospital one night when my brother was in there with Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. We didn't know what it was yet. He had a fever of 106. Once you get to 107, you get brain damage. So they had iced my brother's body down in the hospital bed. And I'm out there praying, and, and Fred's pastor from the Methodist church that he was going to at that time happened to be there. And, and because this experience of surrendering to the ministry was very fresh in my mind because I'd only done this a few weeks ago, I finally gave my will over to God's will to, to answer his call to ministry. I, I had to ask this preacher, I said, well, tell me about how you got into the ministry. And his response was, well, I was sitting around my dorm room at SMU and my roommate said, you'd make a good pastor. Now, I'm not saying God can't call a person that way, but that just didn't hit me right. It didn't hit me that he had experienced a call from the Lord to make the ministry his vocation in life. Now, 
I, I never heard him preach, so I don't know what kind of preacher he was, and I don't judge how effective he was for the Lord one way or the other. And God can use a lot of things. But for me, I have no doubt that God called me. And he called me against my will, sad to say, but he called me. Now, here's another thing that, that uh, helps you decide if a prophet's true or false. They, they had their own visions. Look at Jeremiah 23, 16. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, you must not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They're deluding you with visions of their mind. They do not speak from the mouth of Yahweh. So sometimes we have visions. Sometimes we have dreams. Sometimes, But are they really from the Lord? Or, or as uh, Scrooge said, are they a bit of undigested beef or an underdone potato that caused us to think these things? I have some weird dreams from time to time but I don't ever really think that they're from the Lord. Uh, what I think I get from the Lord is what I read in the words of Scripture. Okay? Um, and we, we can talk more about that because the prophecy of Joel talks about how there will be old men will dream their dreams young, and, and they'll have their visions and men, young men and women will prophesy. But if you look in the book of Acts where that passage is quoted, Peter says, this today fulfills the Scripture spoken of by the prophet Joel. In other words, that scripture's been fulfilled. We shouldn't be expecting those things anymore. Now, there's a second half of that scripture that hasn't been fulfilled yet. That's when the, the moon turns blood red and the sun refuses to shine. That's coming later. Okay, uh, But we don't need that extra revelation. Why? Because we have the Bible. Uh, you will not, in your lifetime, ever exhaust all the counsel and wisdom in God's Word. So you don't need anything else. Just follow it. You'll be fine. They, it says they use lying visions and worthless divinations. Uh, Micah 3, 7. The seers will be disgraced and those practicing divination will be put to shame. All of them will cover their lips for there is no reply from God. A divination is really kind of an act of witchcraft or sorcery. Uh, it's it's uh, if you do this ritual, then you'll get this other thing. Uh, I, you know, In God's word, I can find two ordinances that he gives us but no prescriptions for rites or rituals that impart to us something mystical. He tells us that we're to keep the baptism. Why? Because this baptism shows that we have received the Lord Jesus Christ. He's washed away our sins. Our old man is crucified with Christ. And just as we're raised up out of the water, we are raised up to walk in newness of life. We're supposed to live differently after we've received Christ. Baptism is a picture of that. And the only thing baptism does for us is makes us members of the church. Baptism is required. It's an ordinance that Jesus Christ commanded us. So to be a member of church, you need to be baptized biblically. Okay? But beyond that, there's nothing mystical that happens. It's going to get you wet. But it shows that something supernatural has already transpired in your life. Jesus Christ washed you of your sins. And He buried your sins. And he's made you a new person. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Same thing with the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, by this you do show the Lord's death until he comes. We're showing his death. We're showing that he's coming again. Jesus, when he gave the command, he says to his disciples about keeping the Lord's Supper, he says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance, or we would translate that same word, do it in memorial of me. Now, there's a lot of memorials in Scripture in the Old Testament. They would set up stacks of stone as a memorial to where they crossed over the Jordan. In the same way, 
Every time we take the Lord's Supper, it is a memorial to the fact that Jesus has died for us, that He shed His blood for us, and it is a reminder that we need to get back in touch with God again and confess our sins because we're reminded in 1 Corinthians 11 that we're not to partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily. Now, some people go to the end of 1 Corinthians 11 and they make something about uh, not discerning the Lord's body and they say, oh, well, that means that the, the grape juice and the bread is part of the body of Christ. Well, that's either transubstantiation, which is what the Catholics believe, or it's, it's still making a sacrament of something that you have to do in order to keep your salvation or maintain your salvation, as the Church of Christ believes. The reality is, though, you've got to be careful about this. If you think you can keep your salvation on your efforts, then your salvation is not by grace. Our salvation is kept by the power of God, it tells us in 1 Peter 1. Now, look what he says here. He says, Thus says the Lord Yahweh in Ezekiel, Alas for the foolish prophets who are going after their own spirit, and they did not see anything. He says, when somebody speaks to you and says, I have a word from the Lord, if in reality it just came from their own mind and their own spirit, and not from a revelation from God, it's just useless. And by the way, how would you know if it was a revelation from God? Well, I think they'd be able to show you their insight from God's word. It's got to be backed up by the word. Ezekiel 13, 6 they saw falseness and a lying divination, the ones saying declaration of Yahweh, and Yahweh did not send them, and they wait for confirmation of their word. He says they go around speaking stuff, and then they wait to see if it actually happens. You know, I'm not worried about telling you something from God's word, whether it's going to happen, because his word has proved absolutely reliable. If it's in the book, it is going to happen. I don't have to just wonder. But there are a lot of people that speak from their own mind, but don't back it with the word of God. That's where I question things. Uh, also, they gave people false confidence, saying the sword would not come. Uh, Jeremiah 4.10, he says, you, he says, Lord Yahweh, surely you have utterly deceived the people in Jerusalem, saying it will be peace for you while the sword reaches up to the throat. The pro false prophets were going around saying, hey, everything is going to be fine. But Jeremiah says, the reality is, Lord, I see your judgments coming. They have retreated the wound, they have treated the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace. But there is no peace. What if I got up here today and told you that tomorrow everything in our country was going to be peaceful? And not only that, it was going to get more and more peaceful. And by the way, there are some that hold a particular eschatological view that believe we're already in the days where Jesus Christ is reigning and the world is getting better and better each day until one day we will all recognize that Jesus is on his throne and he's reigning. And yet, every time I read the Gospels, I hear that in the last days there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. I, I hear exactly the opposite of everything is getting better. I hear everything is getting worse and then judgment is coming. So we have to decide which of those views is actually backed by, by the word of God. And, and false prophets love to tell you there's peace when in reality there's not. And by the way, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I think I need to speak to it. Um, I understand there are people have a problem with racism. But I have worked very hard in my entire 32 plus years as a parent to raise my kids to be free of racial prejudice. I remember when the kids were growing up, 
we gave them black baby dolls along with white baby dolls and Asian baby dolls. <laughs> and they, some of them loved their black baby dolls better than they loved any of the others. Some of them loved the Asian baby dolls better than any others. We wanted them to not really care about the color of their skin. And then I've always made sure that we taught them that God only made Adam and Eve. We've all descended from them. So the only thing that differentiates us from people of different colors is the amount of melanin in our skin. We really are all just different shades of brown. Some of us don't have as much brown. Some have more brown. Some have a whole lot of brown. But we're all just different shades of brown. So get over it. Uh, I really, this whole idea of racism is an evolutionary concept. Now, I'm not saying it didn't exist before Charles Darwin, but that, that really encoded it because Darwin posed the idea that some things were more evolved than others and that grew to the idea that some people, by virtue of their biological properties, are superior to others. And that's just wrong. Now, fortunately... Our founding fathers, when they wrote the, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, they recognized the fact that all men are created. First of all, they didn't believe in evolution. All men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the pursuit of happiness today doesn't mean what our founding fathers meant by it. What they meant is the ability to do free enterprise. And they explained this in, in the, the letters that they wrote explaining their thoughts in detail. It was the ability to have free enterprise and get ahead, make your own success, cut your own way through the world. Things that right now some of our leaders are trying to take away from us. But I, I'm saddened by what's going on. And quite frankly, a lot of what's going on is not riots about how a black man was treated, it, or excuse me, protests about how a black man was treated. I have no problem with that. We, we had people out in Mansfield the other day, you know, sign, hold up signs, honk if you're not racist. I honked. I supported it. I waved at the people. Oh, glory to God. You know, they at least recognize that there shouldn't be a difference between white people and black people and brown people and Asian people. Thank God somebody recognizes it. That's a whole lot different than using this as an excuse to break out store windows and go in and steal stuff and for them to have closed down a police precinct in downtown Seattle and established a sick block radius where they have armed citizens to prevent the police from getting back into that part of Seattle. That's just wrong. And they're going to... Uh, listen, I have worked for the Ford Motor Company in Michigan at their main plant... And I will tell you that if you drive anywhere more than a mile from the Ford Motor Company plant, it looks like uh, it looks like a Middle Eastern war-torn war -torn country. There's signs about Islam up everywhere. Schools are closed. Glasses are broken out of windows. It is not a place that I would want to go, but it's a place that's devoid of God uh, and, and acknowledgement of God, and it's a place where racism is rampant. Uh, I, I just want to let you know, I think all of us as Christians need to be sensitive to the fact, how do we respond to people of different color, different nationality, different race? We need to hug them, especially if they know Jesus Christ, hug them like they're brothers in the Lord, because they are. And I, I'm blessed that I, I have friends on every continent, except I don't know anyone in the Antarctica right now, so I'm, I'm a little... But other than that, I get friends in every continent. Um, so, the Old Testament had two specific tests for prophets. 
One is a prophet's word must only point people toward faithfulness to the one true God. And secondly, a prophet's word must come true. And if in the Old Testament times, if both of those things weren't true, you were supposed to stone them to death. You were supposed to kill them. Let me read you. Well, I'll read, I'll read you the verse in a moment. But that's pretty severe punishment. Why is that? And, and should we stone false preachers and heretics today? No. Uh, for that matter, do you all remember the story in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira? They came and they gave a gift to the church, but they wanted everybody to think they'd given all their money because that would really make them look good. And so they came and gave all their money. And Peter says, because the Holy Spirit told Peter, <laughs> they're not telling you the truth. And Peter Peter basically tells you know, Sapphira, drop dead. Or tells Ananias, drop dead. And they drop dead. And the other one comes in. He says, you lied to the Lord, drop dead. And they drop dead too, and then they carry him out. Now that's, that's pretty amazing. Why would God do that? Probably some of us have told a lie under the roof of a church building before, and we're still breathing. Why is that? You need to understand that in the formation of the nation of Israel, God had to keep them very pure until the nation could be firmly established and it could grow. And one of the things that was essential... In, in God's wisdom was we've got to keep them pure in their theology and we've got to keep them following the Lord and we're not going to tolerate false prophecy at all and if it occurs, that one's going to be put to death. Same thing, Ananias and Sapphira took day during the foundational times of the early church before they had a copy of the written word of God and he wanted to keep them pure so that the church could get off to a good start, a good foundation and begin spreading. Now, sadly, the church is not pure, but God no longer requires the death penalty of us, except in certain circumstances. I say that because in 1 Corinthians 11, it does say that if you don't treat the Lord's Supper with the reverence it deserves, even though it's an ordinance and not a sacrament, but if you don't cleanse your heart of your sins and you partake of it, Paul warns the Corinthians, for this cause, many of you are, are sick and some now even asleep, meaning you died. See how God takes some things pretty seriously. Paul tells in 1 Corinthians 10 that God, if we keep ourselves on the shelf for God long enough and we ruin his reputation long enough, he's going to take us out of the game. So does he still do that? Yes, he does. Now, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, listen to this. If a prophet stands up in your midst or a dreamer of dreams and he gives to you a sign or wonder and the sign or wonder comes about. Now, wait a minute. We've already said that if they made a prophecy and it didn't come true, you should stone them to death. But this is a different case. He says they make a, a promise, a sign or wonder, and then the sign or wonder happens. Sometimes a false prophet can predict a true event, but it's usually kind of happenstance. <laughs> In other words, have you ever gotten a fortune cookie and you read the fortune cookie and it's so vague that later that week something happened and you think, hey, my fortune cookie came true. Look at this. This was a good fortune cookie. I should, I should go to the lottery now and bet those numbers on the back of the fortune cookie, right? Because fortune cookie came true. I don't know. I, I have a tendency to sometimes get fortune cookies that are way too specific. I actually got a fortune cookie one time that says, you will win a trip to Canada. And for years I kept thinking, hadn't come true yet, hadn't come true yet. 
then IBM sent me to work in Canada so much I had to have a work permit, so I guess that fortune cookie trick was true. I probably should have kept that one so I'd know what the numbers on the back of that ticket were. But the whole point is, is that sometimes things come true just because things happen. But, but look what he's saying. He says, if they dream a dream or gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder comes about, he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods, those you have not known, and let us serve them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer, for Yahweh your God is testing you to know whether you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all of your inner self. So what is he saying? He's saying even if the sign they say comes true, if they're pulling you away from the Lord, don't pay any attention to their sign. If they're pulling you away from what's revealed in God's written word, don't pay any attention to the sign. Listen and only move toward the Lord and not away from Him. wouldn't matter what kind of miracle they worked if He's pulling you away from the Lord. Deuteronomy 18.22 Whenever what the prophet spoke in the name of Yahweh, the thing does not take place and does not come about. This is the thing that Yahweh has not spoken to him. Presumptuously, the prophet spoke to it. You shall not fear or respect or reverence or pay attention to that prophet. So if they make a prophecy and it doesn't come true, then you shouldn't listen to them. Now, I want us to take a moment to look at what Jesus said about false prophets because Jesus actually gave us a command in Matthew 7 about the wearing of false prophets. Here's what he said. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. And we just covered a bunch of their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? And we'll also read what Paul said to the Corinthians. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, look at this, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, think about this for a minute. If Satan can appear to us like an angel, we need to be careful even when we think we're seeing angels to test what is in the Word of God. Joseph Smith went out, according to his own account, which he wrote about in the book, The Pearl of Great Price, and he was out in the woods and he was contemplating why there were so many different Christian denominations. And why they would have them. And according to Joseph Smith, while he was in the wood, suddenly a great darkness came upon him. And a dark cloud descended all around him. And he was in great fear uh, of spirit and he was trembling. And suddenly the angel Moroni appears to him. Or maybe it's the angel Mormon. They had two angels. By the way, if an angel's name is Moroni, which is moron with an I added to the end of it, that's probably not something you ought to listen to. But anyway... Uh, this angel appears to him and says, oh, well, you, you don't have the real whole revelation from God. Here's these golden uh, stones, peep stones. You'll look through this, and then you can translate these tablets I'm going to give you, which are written in Reformed Egyptian. And by the way, there's never been such a language as Reformed Egyptian, but supposedly Joseph Smith found these tablets, looked through these peep stones, and the words that were written in Reformed Egyptian came off to him in English, and he was able to translate them and give us the Book of Mormon. Now, not a single thing in the Book of Mormon, not a single prophecy in the Book of Mormon has ever been verified. Uh, there's not a single bit of archaeological evidence that proves that any one of the towns that should have come up in Central or South America or the Southern United States that are revealed in the Book of Mormon has ever existed. Meanwhile, every time you turn over a shovel of dirt around Jerusalem, it proves that the Bible is true. I, there's not a week that goes by 
that there's not a new article showing that they found some new archaeological evidence for something that's revealed in Scripture. So, he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostle Christ. No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed in angel life. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, who end shall be according to their works. In other words, it's very possible you will see a preacher stand up, and he's wearing a nice suit. He may be wearing an all-white suit and have the ability to supposedly heal people. Okay, but... It's, it's possible for them to look very good, look very respectable, speak words to you in a church building that's big enough to be a sports stadium in Houston, and yet not be giving you the truth of the Word of God. But they'll tell you how easy it is for you to have peace and be at success and everything in your life go right. And it's all just a lie. We were told in First Peter, you remember this, be sober, be vigilant. In other words, be on guard. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren in the world. We've got to be on our guard about this. So let me give you four characteristics of false prophets. These might be worth writing down. Number one, they lack divine authority. Do you remember when Jesus... Uh, it says that he was teaching, and the people marveled by what authority he taught. And if you go back and look at the teaching of Jesus, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, very long sermon there, and it's, it's the most complete sermon text we have of any sermon that Jesus preached. And you will notice, if you look very carefully, that over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard it said, and then he quotes the Old Testament. He says, but I say unto you, and he expounds. In other words, he's not, he's not contradicting the Old Testament. He's bringing the principle up. So in other words, he says, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, you need to really understand that verse, because if you even look after a woman to lust after your heart, you've already committed adultery, because your will has already gotten together with evil desire in your heart. And though you may never carry it out physically, you've done the same thing in God's eyes. See, he explained the principles of the law. If anything, he took the standards of the law and raised them up. And I, there's a lot of Christians who say, oh, we don't need to worry about the law. Well, guess what? The standards of grace are higher than the standards of the law. You're right. We don't need to worry about the law. We, we need to be hope following the Lord's grace, and that's even higher standards. They lack divine authority. One thing is, if somebody tells you they know the will of God, but they're not backing it by the word of God, then I would submit to you that they are lacking divine authority. Where does the teaching come from? Secondly, they promise the people peace when God threatens judgment. I just got through showing you a whole bunch of verses about that, that everything's going to be good. In other words, they say, I've got a word from the Lord. You're going to prosper. You're going to be at peace. That may not be what you need to hear. You may need to hear the truth. They are serving themselves rather than God. Now, why do these people even do this? Some of them, I think, like for people to give them more respect. And they think, well, if I go around telling them I have a word from the Lord, maybe they'll respect me more. Maybe they'll reverence me more. Maybe they'll, they'll treat me with some kind of honor because I have been a prophet or a prophetess of God to them. But they serve themselves. And, and we're going to find out later, one of the ways they serve themselves, a lot of them are just in it for the money. Uh, I, had, I, I had the opportunity one time to meet the carpenter who put in the cabinets in the kitchen of a prominent 
televangelist, who, by the way, is still on television. He, he was off television for a lot of years because he committed adultery, and it was a big public thing, and now he's back on there today. And uh, this carpenter told me that the hinges on this particular preacher's cabinets cost $600 a piece because they were solid gold hinges. Well, I'm not saying it's not okay for you to have nice things, but I just I have to question the stewardship of somebody who spent $600 on a solid gold hinge for a kitchen cabinet. And maybe and then and that and quite frankly I might be I'm I'm being judgmental there, I'll admit to it. I but I just feel like that's not good stewardship. And, and here's the fourth characteristic. They will certainly be judged by God. And all of these principles here apply to the teachers of whom Peter is speaking in 2 Peter chapter 2. And they, these teachers are going around denying that there will be consequences for their action. They're denying that there will be any consequences maybe in eternity because they don't really understand what Jesus has been here to do. Now, a little question. Can a false prophet ever tell you the truth? The answer to that is yes, they can. Um, they can tell you the truth. Sometimes God forces them to speak the truth like he did Balaam. Uh, or they may tell you a partial truth and then give you a lie as well. Now, let's go over. So, Well, actually, that slide was there. I thought it wasn't. So Balaam, king of Moab, hired Balaam. Balaam was in the prophet prophecy for profit business okay he was a prophet for profit's sake let's put it that way and and he hired Balaam to curse the nation of Israel as they came out of Egypt but every time Balaam opened his mouth he blessed Israel because God made those words come out of his mouth so he's a false prophet he's listed as a false prophet in the New Testament in fact is right here in the same chapter 2nd Peter 2 15 which you'll see in a moment calls him a false prophet and yet did he tell the truth that day? Yes, because he had no choice. God made a blessing come out every time he tried to speak a curse. So there are four types of counterfeits we need to be aware of today, and then we'll, we'll come in close to the conclusion here. So let's talk about these four. False prophets. We've already talked about the Old Testament. False prophets flourished during times of apostasy. That's when the nation of Israel was getting away from the Lord. The nation of Judah is getting away from the Lord. And they were prophesying usually about the impending judgment by God. And those false prophets would say, oh, no, don't believe that message of judgment. Because, by the way, how many of you think that preaching judgment is a popular thing to do? It doesn't win friends and influence people uh, like, like you would hope. Okay? Uh, fact is, I think probably the, one of the most unpopular preachers of all time was Enoch. Now, Enoch, by the way, God loved him so much that God told Enoch, you come up to heaven for a day, and when Enoch got up there, he found out it's always daytime there, so he's never been back. But Enoch, if you read in the book of Jude, it tells us what he prophesied. He says, you ungodly people, which have done these ungodly works, and you're going to get the consequences of your ungodly behavior. And he uses the word ungodly over and over and over and over again. And you think, oh man, that could not have been one of those sermons that they, on the way out of the tabernacle, they slapped Enoch on the back and said, good job, dude. No, they would have uh, turned away from him. Confusion arose as people hold on to their sin. So when people, the nation of Judah, nation of Israel, they started to get away from the Lord, they started to be confused because they hear these doctrines that other gods 
prophets are teaching and then the prophets of God. And, and so the devil would send in false prophets to basically uh, give them the I'm okay, you're okay message, which by the way is a name of a popular book on transactional analysis that's still used in a lot of uh, psychology classes today. But it's this idea, I'm okay, you're okay. Uh, and they promise blessing. And there's a lot of these false prophets today. Uh, a lot of people preach success principles, and here's how to be successful, but they continue to let the people live in their own sin. They don't confront them. Then there's false teachers. Now, this is the modern term that Peter gives. He, used, he says there were false prophets. Now there's a lot of false teachers. And he says there's going to be a lot of false teachers. Just as there were false prophets in the Old Testament, there will be false teachers today, and a false teacher gathers people around a truth that's out of balance. That's heresy. They take a truth and they don't keep it in balance. Titus 1, verses 10 and 11 says that they often have a pecuniary motivation. They're, they're vain talkers, meaning their words are empty. They, they say things that people like to hear, but their words don't really have any substance. Uh, there's a lot of TV preachers I could listen to, and I'm trying not to name them, but I'm sure some of you have some of these preachers in mind. They get on TV and they preach about how to have success and how to have wealth and how to ha- let everything go good and how to have a positive mental attitude all the time. And, and they give you all this information. And yet, when, when the day is over, you're not any wiser about the ways of the Lord than you are. And you don't understand God's Word any more than you did. And you don't have any new insights. You don't have any truths to base your lives on. Basically, what you had is what I call a lot of rah-rah, sis-boom-bah. That's, that's what you have. We need to be discerning about that. Uh, a lot of words without any real help. Then we're told in the New Testament that there are going to be false Christs. Jesus said this himself. He said there are people who are going to proclaim that they're Messiah. And he said the last days you're going to hear, over here there's a Messiah. And over, over there's a Messiah. And over there's a Messiah. And by the way, this is going on today. You don't know it uh, if, unless you've been reading a lot of Jewish uh, newspapers and Internet articles. But there are people today claiming to the Jewish people that they're the Messiah. And they're popping up. And this guy says, well, he's the Messiah. And, and there's other articles saying, yeah, I think that guy really is the Messiah. He's going to be the one that's going to deliver us from all this. And, and then there's people who make spurious claims about themselves and about their anointing from God. By the way, the word Messiah means the uh, Mashiach in Hebrew means the anointed one. Uh, same as Christos does in in, in Greek, it's this idea that they're the anointed one. They're the Messiah. There are a lot of people going around saying they have a special anointing from God to do things. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, Brother Stephen's been teaching from the book of 1 Corinthians. And we, several weeks ago, was talking about the different gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And one of those says gifts of healings. And it's always plural. It's never singular. It's not a gift of healing. It's gifts of healings. And it's, it's plural in Greek and it's plural in English. And that should always be rendered that way. And what God is saying, if you pay attention closely, is that healing is a manifestation gift that's given to you as the recipient. Maybe you've had a a problem or a disease for a long time, and you get a spiritual truth in your life, and you start practicing that spiritual truth. And as a result of that, God can heal you physically from the disease you had. I walked on a cane for eight and a half years. I know what this is like. I've had this happen to me. But it doesn't mean that someone came to me that had the gift of healing. It means that God gave me as an individual recipient a gift of healing. And God still heals people in responses to prayer. But he does that giving individual gifts as he will according. And I think usually the people that do this are following principles that God reveals to them. And they get the blessings and the benefits of that. But 
we have people going around today saying unbiblically that they have the gift to heal people. Well, that does not exist in Scripture. It's gifts of healings. It's never the gift of healing. And that may sound like a fine distinction, but it's a biblical distinction. And, but we have people that claim that they have an anointing of God on their life to be able to do miracles, to heal people, and that they're God's messenger for today. And some of them even walk around always wearing a white suit and white shoes because they want people to see how holy they are. And they look kind of radiant when you hit them with the right spotlights and whatnot. And they bring people up on the stage and they claim to, to heal them. And the Matthew twenty four twenty four says that some of their deception is so good that it might even carry away the elect if it were possible. In other words, people can be deceived. And then there's false apostles. These are people who know they can't get away with claiming to be Christ, but they want that share of admiration and respect, so they claim to be an apostle. And there are preachers in South Dallas, if you look at their name on the, of their minister at their church, it says apostle so-and-so. Uh, or bishop so-and-so. I don't mind the bishop thing so much. That's kind of a biblical term. Uh, I have had people call me reverend before. I, I reject them. I always correct them. Please don't ever call me reverend because the Bible says God is reverend. I don't even want to put myself in the same category with God. Uh, so, you know, call me Brother Robert. That's perfectly biblical. Okay? You can call me Pastor Robert. That's perfectly biblical. Don't call me reverend. Okay? And don't call me an apostle. But some people like to put that title on. And, of course, the Mormons always maintain up there in Salt Lake at the church headquarters 12 apostles. But the problem with that is is there's only 17 apostles listed in Scripture. They all had a couple things in common. They are all sent by God, and they all had seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And those were the qualifications for apostles. In fact, it is after Judas Iscariot had died, and they're trying to find a replacement their criteria was they needed to have been with us from the time of John, from the baptism of John, seen Jesus, got baptized, uh, and, and been with us during that experience, and they need to have seen the resurrected Christ. We need to ensure that they've done this, and, and so they find Matthias, who was chosen by Lot, to take his place. But the Mormons had these 12 apostles. The Bible lists 17 uh, of these apostles. And... The true, here's the qualification. They must have seen the resurrected Lord. They must be sent by God, and God must confirm their apostolic calling. And in case you were wondering who the 17 are, there they are. Now, the ones you're probably not familiar with, you got the names of the disciples. That should be good. Uh, and then there is Matthias. We read about in Acts chapter 1 was chosen. Paul was an apostle because after his conversion, he went into the wilderness of Arabia and spent three years in seminary with the resurrected Lord, seeing him as one born out of due time. Barnabas is called an apostle, which means Barnabas saw the resurrected Lord. Uh, Romans 16, 7, Andronicus was an apostle. Junia in Romans 16, 7 also listed as an apostle. And here's the one that you probably never would have guessed. Jesus in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 is called an apostle. But guess what? He qualifies. He saw his own resurrection. Okay? And he was sent by God. Uh, and so he calls him the apostle and high priest of our confession. And so, a biblical term. Now, what reveals a false prophet? One is... The prophecy may expose the prophet. So if the prophecy doesn't come to pass or it takes us away from God and doesn't lead us toward a faithful relationship, the prophecy exposes it. The prophecy will expose truth. False prophets tell people what they want to hear. And by the way, that's becoming more and more popular. 
The Bible says in, in 1 Timothy that in the latter days, people will heap to themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. In other words, say what they like. I don't think anyone is ever going to accuse me of trying to pander to what people want to hear, and I pray they never do. I just want to tell you the truth, and if you don't like it, that's fine. I still love you. You can still hopefully love me, but it's not going to stop me from telling you the truth. Uh, so there's a basis for judgment. You know, there's judgment that comes when they don't, we don't tell the truth. Also, a thing that might reveal them is that their motive is money. A true prophet's motive, someone who's a true spokesman for the Lord, does it because they're compelled by God to share the word of God. It's, as I said, Jeremiah 20 and verse 9, he was a true prophet of God. By the way, Jeremiah never had much success in ministry from a human perspective. Okay? Uh, as I remember, he was thrown in a pit. He never acquired a big congregation, never had a big following. He's a success to the Lord because he was faithful to do what the Lord wanted him to do. He was a little melancholy about it. He wept a lot of times. That's why he's called the weeping prophet. And in Jeremiah 20 and verse 9, he wasn't doing it for the money. He wasn't doing it for the fame. He certainly wasn't doing it for the recliner or the easy chair or the comfort because he says, when I tried to shut up, and let's face it, things had gone a lot easier for Jeremiah if he'd kept his trap shut. But he says, his words were like fire that burned in my bones. In other words, I can't shut up. I'm motivated. I'm, I'm driven. I'm, I'm passionate about the word of God. What was Balaam's note, note, uh, motive, though? It says in 2 Peter 2.15, Which have forsaken the right way, are gone astray, falling the way of Balaam, the son of Boser, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He was in it for the bucks. He just wanted to make some money. So bad did he want to make money that when he wasn't able to prophesy a bad thing against Israel, he finally pulls the king aside and he says, listen, God's not going to let me pronounce a curse on Israel, but let me tell you how to ruin Israel. You get their godly men to marry the ungodly daughters of the, the people of this land, the Canaanites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and eventually they will be destroyed spiritually and God's hand of blessing will be removed off them. And that king took that advice, and it led to the downfall, in many ways, of Israel and Judah. They also desire popularity. Uh, Luke 6.26 tells that we, again, Jesus said that people like those speaking to us who will appeal to their ear. Uh, they collect in the last days people who will tickle their ears. Truth is not usually popular. So what are the characteristics of these deceivers? And then I'll, I'll close here. We may just go ahead and shut down in a moment. They infiltrate churches. They need to look, they need to be accepted by those they want to teach. So they'll come in, they look, and they act like, a, and they, they talk like a sincere believer. And let's face it, uh, I, have, I have dealt in a lot of years here and at every church I pastor with people that often come and are looking for a financial handout but have no real desire to be part of a church or no real desire for me to counsel them but I, I always try to share the word of God with them when they come and when I listen to them and talk to them um, I, I have you know I, I want to want to give them these these ideas and they always have a spiritual talk they talk about how God has taken care of them thus far but they're in a hard place now and and they know that God's people help them do this God's people help them do that 
But what's funny is when you pin them down about how they became a Christian, they, they sometimes said, well, I asked God into my heart, but sometimes they don't get in their vocabulary or in their brain. No, that means you have to receive Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to ask Jesus to forgive your sins and for you to be born again. And you need to accept His Lordship or His mastery of your life. And that needs to happen. And you need to believe that He not only died for your sins, but that He rose again because there's no good believing in a dead God. And all those things have to happen. And then if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised from the dead, you will be saved. And that's the truth. But they try to walk They try to talk the talk without walking the walk. They appear to be followers of Christ. Beware of false prophets which come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. They try to look like sheep. But inwardly, they're ravening wolves. So they try to infiltrate church and then they despise authority. Once they get into church, they they try to start tearing away from the honor that you should pay those who are called by God and ministering to you faithfully. We know that Paul told Timothy that uh, the elders of the church who were preaching the word of God faithfully were worthy of double honor. And, of course, he, he said that in the context of pay because then he goes on to say you won't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. In other words, the ox has a right to eat of the grain and preachers should be paid a salary who are faithfully pastoring the church. But we should honor faithful men in other ways just as we should honor our fathers. And, and by the way, don't ever call one of your pastors a father and it's odd to me that in the Catholic Church they call the priest a father because Jesus specifically says that you'll call no man father. So Jesus forbid that we do that. And yet the whole Catholic Church makes a big deal of that. So we can't do that. Uh, it's okay to call your dad father if you want to be a little formal. Uh, but no one else. But they attack the credibility of God-ordained authorities and they try to make themselves the authority and say, oh, you need to listen to me instead. Do you all remember when David was king of Israel and Absalom decides to kind of rebel against him? The first thing Absalom did is start sitting outside the gate every day and when people would come in to get their case judged by King David, he'd stop on their way and what do you come here and see the king about? And they tell him their situation. He says, well, I don't know what my father David's going to say, but this is how I would decide if I were king. Before long, he was working a rebellion. Okay? 2 Peter 2.10, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness, they despise government. Now he's not talking about disguising government in the way maybe you and I do. Uh, you know, <laughs> I wish they'd let me go up and just clean house in the House of Representatives and do the same in the Senate. And, you know, I, I would love to make changes there. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. But he's talking about despising authorities in our life. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, he might be talking about spiritual uh, beings as well, but I think he's talking about our, our authorities uh, in, in our workplace and in our church. They speak eloquently. They tend to possess keen intellect, a great deal of knowledge, but they use it for deceitful purposes. They're masters of debate. They love to argue, and they use, they use, they use logic to arrive at false conclusions. Now, I've heard people make logical arguments for some of the worst spiritual untruths that there are. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. Their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's person in admiration because of advantage. Let me just do this one, and then I'm going to quit, and we'll pick up here next time. They draw away disciples. Their goal is to attract a following. 
either to their teachings or to themselves, but their goal is to attract a following. They're always looking for a moment or an opportunity to do this. Uh, some were just waiting for Paul to die to do their evil work. He says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. All of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. He says they're, gonna, they're just waiting around for the authority to go away so that they can take over and be a false teacher. Um, I'll tell you a secret. And uh, I've heard wise pastors say this, and, and men that I have great and profound respect for, that sometimes the most dangerous person in the church is the associate pastor. Because a lot of times, younger men go to church, they get on staff as an associate pastor, and all they can do from that day forward is they visualize it the day that they'll be the pastor. And so at first things start out amicably, but then they start sharing their opinions where they differ from the pastor, and they start sharing ideas about how they would do things differently, and they're hoping that one of these days, and I have seen an associate pastor that did this, that every time the pastor's back was turned, they were running down the pastor. Uh, so those are dangerous people in most churches. My, my call from the Lord, Psalm 75, 6, is to serve others to make them successful. Because that's how I believe God really promotes us through life. I'm going to stop there, but I, I want to kind of pick up maybe uh, on just a, a conclusion slide as, as it were. And what do we need to do with all this truth? Well, we need to be immersed in the Word of God. And every day we need to listen to and read the Word of God so our spirit can discern between the counterfeit and the truth. Uh, we need to ask God to give us discernment, help us to see the differences between true and false. Ask God to help us remain open to reason. Uh, sometimes we have preconceived notions, or we have dogmas, we have things we're raised with. And we need, uh, James said that heavenly wisdom, he contrasted in James the difference between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And one of the characteristics of heavenly wisdom is that you're open to reason. So we do need to be careful that when someone is teaching us from the Word of God and they present something to us that's different than what we believe, they were open to the idea that, hey, we might be wrong. Let's go back and examine this in Scripture. Let me go back and look at it again in Scripture and see, hey, am I wrong? If so, then I need to change my doctrine. And I'm, I'm working through some of that right now. Uh, but we need to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. When somebody teaches you the Word of God, go in the Scriptures and check to see what the Word of God says about that subject. Not just the verses maybe they covered, but the other verses too. And, and always, if there's a difficult passage to understand, find the simple passages first and what they teach, and they will enlighten you as you study the difficult passage. But here's the big thing. Uh, I know Brother Eric uh, started this year before all this pandemic craziness came that he shared with me my desire to see all of us read through the Word of God this year. I think that's a great thing to do. We need to all read through the Word of God, and we need to, if you can't, don't have time to read it, then listen to it while you're getting ready in the morning. Uh, but either listen to it or read it, or best of all, do both. But, but spend time in God's Word every day. 
Because I am convinced the only way you'll get skilled in discerning between truth and falsehood is to spend more time in the truth. Do you know how they train bank tellers to recognize counterfeit bills? They make sure that every stack of cash they give a new bank teller only has good bills in it for the first two months that a bank teller is at work. And then one day, they slip a couple of counterfeit bills that they keep for training purpose into a stack, and they give them the task of counting out a certain amount of money. And they, what they're looking for is to see if suddenly they notice that, oh, that doesn't feel right. Different weight, different texture. Doesn't look right. Hey, where's the security thread that's supposed to be in there? In other words, we should get, if we get really skilled at hearing the truth, then we'll recognize error when we hear it. And that's what we need to do. Uh, now, obviously, I, I'm going to finish the sermon. I will not do it on Father's Day because I think the sermon on false prophets is probably not appropriate to Father's Day. So we'll do something different. But we'll be back in a couple of weeks to, to finish that up. I want you to do something else, too. I would like for you to pray for your pastors. Maybe this would be a good way to conclude today. Would you pray for your pastors that God will always keep us faithful to His Word and that He'll always keep us open to reason, to seeing when Scripture teaches us something other than our preconceived notions? And will you teach, pray for us that we'll never be in it for selfish purposes, but that we'll always be in the ministry to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you stand as Brother Dennis leads us in song? And